Friends, grace, mercy, and peace be upon you from God our Father and our Lord and our Savior Jesus. Amen? Amen. You know, when I was, when I was growing up, I loved being sick. Uh, let me, let me uh, back that up for just a second. I, I loved uh, the opportunity that I had when I was sick. Uh, because when my siblings and I got sick, we had to stay home from school. It was the one time that my mom allowed us to watch more than one movie. We would lay on the couch all day in recovery watching movies as a way to just be still. And for me, for me, it was always the trifecta. I was always trying to do movies that were in order. So, for example, I might watch Back to the Future, followed by Back to the Future 2, followed by Back to the Future 3. Like, that, that was a good day of recovery. Or, or it may be Star Wars, like the... Star Wars, the original Star Wars, episodes four, five, and six, the best Star Wars that there was. We'd watch all day, like that's a good day of recovery. But my, my absolute favorite, my absolute favorite was to watch a movie where the main character was named after a state. Uh, now, if you are one of the movie watchers, if you've seen these particular films, you know that actually he wasn't named after a state, he was named after his family's dog. And of course, we're talking about Indiana. That's right, Indiana Jones, watching those first three films, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Temple of Doom, and then the third one, the best one, which is, oh, church, church, like... I'm going to weep and gnash my teeth. The Last Crusade. This is with Sean Connery as his dad. Like, this, this is the Indiana Jones film, if you ask me. And there's a moment, there's a moment in that film as he and his father, Indiana Jones' his father, they're looking for the Holy Grail. They're looking for the, the cup that Jesus used at the Last Supper. And as you get to the end of the movie, uh, Indiana Jones' father has been shot by Nazis, of course, because this is Indiana Jones. He's lying, bleeding out, right? And Indiana goes into this small little room in these acts and tests of faith where he comes face to face with a knight. And this knight, right, his, his role, his honor, his duty is to make sure that whoever enters into this room, he would fight hand-to-hand combat. And if the person could beat the knight in hand-to-hand combat, then he would have a choice of a chalice after chalice after chalice after chalice. He would have to choose from this wall of chalices which was the right one. Because, as the knight says, if you choose the false grail, it will take life from you. But if you choose the right one, It'll give life to you. So as Indiana sort of sits in that room looking at this wall of chalices, two more characters enter. One by the name of Donovan, who is for the whole movie sort of seeking power and fame and glory. He only looks for the Holy Grail not because of faith, but because of what he thinks it will get for him. So there in that moment... This Donovan, working for the Nazis, of course, because it's Indiana Jones, he's given the choice to choose. But the knight says, make sure to choose carefully. And Donovan, he looks at all of these chalices, 
aided by a woman who's helping him, chooses a chalice, this ornate chalice with jewels around, made of gold, and he drinks from what would be the water of life. And with some brilliant special effects, the man grows old right in front of the faces of everybody. His hair grows out, his skin disappears, he's left with bones, his eyes roll back in his skull, the bones are thrown across a wall, and the knight says, he's chosen poorly. It occurs to me that life, life is really a series of choices. And sometimes we choose poorly, and sometimes we choose wisely. You know, last week we began a series on gratitude. It's this attitude of the heart. It's the posture of God's people. And last week we were in a text, as Paul writes to the Christians in Philippi, where Paul writes, rejoice. Rejoice always. I'll say it again, rejoice. And we're asking the question, Paul, are you sure? Are you sure that we should rejoice always? We have to wrestle with what does it mean then to rejoice all the time? What does it mean to look at the circumstances of our life and still rejoice? Today we're brought again to that very same question as the psalmist writes for us what it means to, to choose gratitude. Because, because quite honestly, gratitude is a choice. It's something that we get to choose actively in any circumstance, any situation in our life, whether good or bad, we have the opportunity to choose gratitude. So let's see how the psalmist is going to help the people of Israel and you and me do that today. You will want a Bible, either the one that you brought from home or the one that we provide. And we're going to go to Psalm number 33. Psalm 33. Uh, it's usually right in the middle of the Bible, basically. That's where the Psalms are. Psalm number 33, uh, verse verse 1. Psalm 33, uh, verse 1. Now, uh, those of you who call this place home, you know, right, that before we can address the text, we have to address the what? The context. That's right. So what is the context of Psalm 33? If you're a note taker, like here's, here's your notes. Uh, we don't know. You're welcome. We don't know. We don't know who wrote it. Right? Some of the Psalms are written by King David. They're usually said by David, or they're written by the sons of Korah, where it says sons of Korah. Here in Psalm 33, nothing. So we don't know anything about the circumstance or the context or the writer of the Psalm. But we do know, we do know that the Psalms, the Psalms are the songs of the people of Israel. This is the hymns of God's people. And friends, these, these songs, these psalms, they're songs of joy, of faithfulness. They're songs of grief and lament. They are songs designed to be not only in the heart, but on the mouth of God's people. So as we get into it, let's get into verse one and see how the psalmist is gonna, again, help us choose gratitude. The psalmist writes, sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp and make music to him on the ten-stringed lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. <laughs> you know, when I was growing up, 
my mother would often say to her friends, uh, to neighbors, and to sometimes strangers, that she felt like she grew up in a musical. Uh, because, because this is not going to be hard for you to imagine, but, but oftentimes I would just break out into song. It just sort of in me, right? It just kind of like a, like a, like a small musical Tourette's, right? Like it just, it just comes out, right? And it could be anything, right? It could be joy. I could be in the bathroom putting on deodorant and I can make that into a beautiful tune, right? Like, yeah, yeah, I smell like I have a spring. Like I, it just works, right? It's funny how things get passed from generation to generation to generation. Because now I live in a musical where my kids break out in songs kind of all the time. You're never quite sure what you're going to get. It's not always deodorant. That might be unique to me. But nevertheless, right, there are songs in our house. And it's funny because I think, I think that musicals get a bad rap. Right? People are like, that's not real life. Right? Like, nobody just sings all the time. Nobody busts into a little tap dance in the middle of whatever they're doing. Like, I get that. But when Christians, when faithful followers of Jesus will say that to me, I always point them to the Psalms. Because the Psalms feel like a musical to me. Isn't it interesting that the psalmist begins this way, sing joyfully to the Lord. No context, just just sing. Sing joyfully to the Lord. It's fitting. It is fitting that he receives praise. And so make music then on all the instruments that you have. Play skillfully and shout for joy. It's like the psalmist saying, hey, hey, you can choose to do these things. You can be a person and choose to be a person who brings praise to God. And he can be in the middle of anything. It doesn't need a context. It can just come out of the blue. You can choose to bring praise. But the psalmist goes on, verse 4, he says, For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all that he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice, and the earth is full of his unfailing love. Two things we want to catch from these two verses. First, the psalmist, the psalmist is directing our gaze to the subject of our praise. Let me say it again, right? The songwriter here, the psalmist, he's directing our gaze to the subject of our praise, right? We, we don't break into praise, into song just randomly for the sake of praise, but rather we break into song and bring praise because the word of the Lord is true and good. And he, the psalm writer says, he, he is faithful He is faithful in all that he does. You see, the psalm writer wants us to know that the subject of our praise is one who is faithful and true. Faithful and true to his word and faithful and true to his people. But not only that, at the end of verse 5, the earth is full of his unfailing love. Now, friends, we, we could just come to a full stop here and we could spend hours, days, weeks, months, years, just meditating on that truth, that the world is full of his unfailing love, that the expanse of the universe is filled with his unfailing love. 
We could spend hours and days and weeks and months and years training our eyes to see this truth. That God's unfailing love is in the expanse of the universe. Because that's true. Because that's true, we can choose to praise. Because that's true, we can sing joyfully. We can get out our 10-stringed lyre and strum a little bit. Like that's what the psalmist is saying. We want to get a hold of that God's unfailing love is in the expanse of the universe. And because that's true, we can choose to praise. Verse six, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. The starry host by the breath of his mouth he gathers the waters of the sea into jars and he puts the deep into storehouses. These, this is an incredible picture, is it not? Of the God who fills the universe, right? The expanse of the universe with his unfailing love by the word of his mouth, by his breath, he's made and created the world that you and I see and touch and taste and smell and hear. The God who fills the expanse of the universe with his love is the same one who has the power to create by simply talking. He's the one who has enough power to take the seas, which we often think of seas and oceans as uncontainable and uncontrollable. The psalmist says, no, this God is a God in his power to take those seas, those uncontainable, uncontrollable seas, and to put them in jars. To take the deep, right? the abyss, the uncertainty, the chaos, to take all of that and to put it into a storehouse. That's this God that we break into praise. This is the God who fills the expanse of the universe with his love. It is this power, and because this is true, we can choose to be grateful. We can choose to break into song. We can choose to make music and bring praise. Verse eight, it says, let all the earth then fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him for he spoke and it came to be, he commanded and it stood firm. The Lord, this is verse 10, the Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples, but the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. Now, a little context here. The people of Israel in the Old Testament are always sort of working a battle on some front. There is always a group of people who are kind of coming up against Israel, who are trying to take over God's people, who are trying to procure the land that God had given them. There's always, always a war on some front. And so as the people of Israel, it is comforting to hear that the Lord will foil the plans of those nations. That all of the people who try to take over my life, all the people who try to gain ground, all the people who are trying to make my life miserable, all the people trying to take me into captivity, God foils the plans of those people. Well, friends, we're not quite like Israel in that sense. We're not always on a war. We're not living kind of war to war like Israel was. But I feel like in the conversations that I have with our church family, that we feel like sometimes we are at war against the world and that the world is at war against us. 
was having a conversation with a member several weeks ago whose life is, uh, their words, not mine, unraveling little bit by little bit. And they were saying to me, you know, Pastor, like, if it were just one thing, I think I'd be okay. But, but it's one thing followed by another thing, followed by another thing, followed by another thing, and it's all just little things. But the succession of little thing after little thing after little thing after little thing is too much for me to bear. It feels like, right, it feels like the world is out to get me. It feels like others are trying to take over my life. I've had conversations with people whose lives are breaking open for all kinds of reasons. Maybe like we said at the beginning of church, it's an addiction. It's something that's taken over and it's, it feels like you're at war with something that's going on in your heart or in your mind. And so while we're not at war with the peoples of the nation. We are, it seems to me, at war with the world or feel like we are. How comforting then to know that we have a God who foils those plans. But His plan, the psalmist says, His plan endures forever. His purposes endure forever. See, we, we choose gratitude. We choose to bring praise and worship because we have a God who, who fills the expanse of the universe with his love, whose power can take the uncontrollable and uncontainable and put it into jars. We praise because we have a God who can speak and create things. We choose to have gratitude and bring praise because we have a God who will foil the plans of the world. But his plans, his plans for you, his plans for me, they endure forever. Now, the people of Israel didn't know it at the time. We do because we're living on the other side of Easter. God, God makes good on that promise. Right? He makes good on his plan to redeem the world, to save them from their enemies. In this case, he saved you and me from sin, from death, right, from the devil. God has made good on his plan in the work of Christ Jesus, both on a cross and in an empty tomb. And so we praise, we, we choose gratitude because this God who fills the expanse with his love, who takes the uncontainable and puts it in jars, who creates by speaking, he is also the one who has put his plan to redeem humanity into play so that you and I, like Arthur this morning, will forever be called his. But the psalmist the psalmist doesn't stop there. Verse 12, he says, blessed is the nation, and here we should hear people, blessed are the people whose God is the Lord, the people that he chose as his inheritance, the people he chose to call daughters and sons. You see, from heaven, the Lord looks down and sees all humankind. From his dwelling place, he watches everybody who lives on earth, he who forms the hearts of all people, who considers everything they do. In other words, God is always present to your life. He's never in the past. He's always in the future. He is present to your life. He sees you. 
He sees what's happening, whether good or bad, whether you're praising in joy or you're lamenting in grief. He sees that all. He's not blind to your life. He sees you and he sees me. In verse 16, no king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all of its great strength, it cannot save. You know, I, I'm always struck. I'm always struck when I've traveled to developing countries and you have an experience with the people of those countries. I, I can think of countries like Rwanda or Burundi and Africa. And people are always amazed by how joyful the people are, how much gratitude they seem to have. Because when you look at their life circumstance and you compare it to our life circumstance, you can't imagine how it's possible they can have so much joy. They have so little. Their houses made of mud and sticks. They're cooking on an open fire. It seems that the psalmist is helping us see that our gratitude, our gratitude, our joy will not be found in things. Whether that's a really strong horse or a really big army, whether that's a a fancy car or an extra thousand square feet in the home. Our joy and our gratitude is not in the accumulation of things. Our joy and gratitude rests in the one who claims us as his own. Our joy and gratitude is not in things, but in the Lord. The psalmist wants us to turn our heart again to the subject of our praise, to how it is we can choose gratitude, how it is we can give joy no matter what their circumstance, because the Lord is ours. So what does he say, verse 18, as he wraps it up? The eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love. (laughs) Those whose eyes are looking to see the love that fills the expanse of the universe. So what does it say in verse 20? We wait in hope for the Lord, for he is our help and our shield. Listen, in him, in him our hearts rejoice. If it's your Bible, I mean, you could do this if it's the church's Bible too, I guess, but I would circle that. In Him, our hearts rejoice. Why? Because we trust in His holy name. Gratitude is a choice. And sometimes, like Donovan, in that movie, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, sometimes we choose poorly. We look at the circumstance of our life, situation, or experience, and we ignore, or we miss, or we forget that God is somehow in it. 
We miss the God who fills the expanse of the universe with his love and the one who has power to take the seas and to put it in jars, the one who can speak things into existence, the one who foils the plans of the enemy. We forget. We choose poorly. And in those moments, life tends to take hold of our heart and our mind, and we can't imagine how we could spontaneously break into joy. We can't imagine how we could choose gratitude. But sometimes we choose wisely. So that no matter what experience we have, no matter what our circumstances, no matter how many things we possess or how many things we don't, whether we're joyful or whether we're lamenting, like the psalmist, we're aware of a God who sees us, a God who has saved us and redeemed us, who fills us and the rest of the world with his unfailing love so that we can choose. <laughs> we can choose gratitude. I'd love to tell you that I choose gratitude all the time. <laughs> I, I don't, and you won't either. But in those moments, I pray that God's Spirit would lead us back to Psalm 33, to a reminder of who God is and what God's done for us. So no matter our circumstances, we can choose gratitude. As the psalmist wraps up, as the song comes to its conclusion, it really is a, a prayer of blessing. And so let us hear that prayer of blessing together. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. In the powerful and the mighty name of Jesus, we agree and we say, amen. Now, may the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, guard and keep our hearts in Christ today and every day. Amen.